everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And this week I have another guest host with me. This is Nurse Keith of Nurse Keith Coaching and NurseKeith.com. And he actually has been podcasting for since really before it was maybe known as podcasting. Is that right, Keith? Well, it actually was podcasting, but it was pretty early on. It was around 2012 that we began. So about seven years ago. Well, it's before I even knew what podcasting was for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't known that. that. I haven't known that long though. Well, tell our listeners um, about Nurse Keith and what you do and about your podcast or whatever you want to talk about. Sure. Well, some people might remember RNFM Radio. We were one of the first nurse podcasts out there. We launched in January of 2012, and we went through various pairs and triads of hosts and co-hosts. So we had many iterations. It was really fun. And I spun off my show, The Nurse Keith Show, which is basically all about nurses' careers, gosh, about four or five years ago. And I'm recording into my uh, well over 200 episodes now. And what I actually do to earn money is I'm a career coach for nurses. I call myself a holistic career coach for nurses. And I work with people all over the country and starting to get a little bit of interest from other countries. And I speak at conferences and write as a freelance nurse writer. So those are the ways I make my money. Those are my income streams. And everything I do revolves around nurses and nursing. And it's super fun. And I wouldn't do anything else at this moment in my life. That's wonderful. I love it. We definitely need people like you to sort of be the experts cheering us along and encouraging us and kind of keeping us all in the right going in the right direction. I really appreciate it. And also, I like some of the topics that I see in your podcast. They're really interesting. One of them, I think, one of well, the story that we're going to talk about in the in, in the news sort of sounds like something you would address. And it's the story, some of our listeners may be familiar, this is sort of a new, something that just came out a couple of days ago, but this nurse over in London ran a marathon in her nursing scrubs, and I guess this is sort of a thing. The Guinness Book of World Records has a a record that they list, and it's the fastest, I guess it's the fastest marathon run in a nurse's uniform, is the, the official but then Guinness, I, I suppose they had their own idea of what a nurse's uniform. Keith, how do you feel about this? Their idea of a, a nurse's uniform is a dress <laughs> with a little apron <laughs> and a little hat. What do you think, Keith? I mean, is, is that what you normally wore whenever you were working at the bedside? I mean, Pretty I don't much. Know. I mean, you know, I used Nair for a long time, you know, <laughs> because the stockings really got caught in the hair on my legs. Yeah. So, I really did my best. I looked pretty awful in a dress, really. But I, but the cap was definitely one of my favorite things of my uniform. <laughs> no, but I, I guess, you know, thinking about England, you know, we're coming up on Florence Nightingale's 200th birth anniversary in 2020. And, yeah. you know, so England is thinking along the line, uh, excuse me, along the lines of good old Florence. And, you know, yeah. nurses don't really dress like Florence anymore, except... If you're my friend, Candy Campbell, who actually embodies Florence and speaks at nursing conferences in character, in costume. But oh, yeah. So she's pretty cool. You should definitely talk to her sometime. But I I definitely see a nurse's uniform in 2019 in the 21st century. It's scrubs. I'm sorry, but they're scrubs. (laughs) It def- yeah, they're definitely scrubs. I, now, yeah. I will say that we have, I have, there are maybe, uh, maybe a couple of nurses at the hospital. I work, I work at a large level one trauma center. And there may be out of the 1500 nurses that work at our hospital, there might be a couple that do wear skirts. They're the kind of long straight skirts, still mm-hmm. not a dress, you know, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone wear a dress. And I know that they did back in the day, but it's definitely not what's considered a nurse's uniform anymore. It's definitely outdated. And I appreciate this young lady for doing, you know, what she did and and kind of sticking to her guns and saying, you know, I I will run the marathon. I'm going to run as fast as I can. And I'm going to run it in the uniform that I wear when I'm working at the bedside and taking care of people. And she did win the, the marathon. She was the fastest. Mm-hmm. as far as the, the people wearing nurse uniforms. And then Guinness decided, well, no, I don't think we're going to give you the the record because you didn't wear what we said the nurse's uniform should be. And there was, of course, as nurses, 
kind of are getting notorious for doing. We we can aren't we <laughs> yell pretty loudly. We don't like when there's an injustice against one of our own, buddy. We can really. <laughs> oh my can, gosh! <laughs> watch out. Whether it's Guinness or it's yeah. a state senator from Washington or it's yeah. Joy Behar on the View talk show. I mean, you got to be pretty careful if you're going to cross nurses because you're going to yeah. really catch hell. <laughs> yeah. And can you blame us? I mean, it's we kind of are we really are given kind of a hard time in the media and in Hollywood where the res- the level of respect is just not always there. And it gets frustrating because we know what we do every day at the bedside taking care of people. We know how hard nurses work. We know how much skill and intellect it takes to be able to do the job that we do. And it's sort of degrading and insulting. The way that the the media in Hollywood sometimes, you know, depicts nurses, it's and it's just it's time to kind of get away from that, you know, and be right. more in line with the times. Right. Like on a TV show, you see, you know, the doctor starts the IV, the doctor, you know, does whatever and holds the patient's hand and the, the nurse, mm-hmm. you know, wipes the doctor's brow with a washcloth, you know, I mean, yeah, <clears throat> spare me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So... Uh, There's a book that I really, really love. It's called From Silence to Voice, What Every Nurse Knows and Needs to Communicate to the Public. It's by Bernice Buresh and Suzanne Gordon. And Mm -hmm. it talks about how nurses need to speak to average citizens and to the media and educate people. And the cognitive dissonance for me is that like with this nurse not running an address and being castigated for it by Guinness, I mean, the cognitive dissonance that I feel is that we're the most respected and trusted profession according to the Gallup poll every year. However, it seems that so many people still don't understand us, even though they respect us. And I think the media needs to really sit up and notice and nurses need to actually take a proactive role in teaching people what we actually do and maybe even what we wear at this juncture. I agree. And I I really applaud this nurse for doing what she did because it by her sort of standing up, she could have approached Guinness before, you know, without and and maybe gone about it a different way where there wasn't so much media attention over it, maybe. But the way she did it, it sort of caused world, obviously worldwide attention. And it helps just sort of shine a light on that disparage, you know, that between the reality of nurses and what they do versus the perception of what who nurses are and what they do. Um, So the more you do that, I feel like the more people stand up and just say, No, that's not what we do. That's not the uniform we wear. That's not the job that we do. That's not at all what nursing is about. And I think it's important for one thing, it's important because as long as we allow this perception to continue of what nursing is about, there will the pay is not going to be there. And so I think that for one thing, nursing being a pretty much dominated by females, for the most part, just from its beginnings, it's definitely getting better as far as that goes. But because it is predominantly a female profession, that pay is definitely lower than a lot of other, you know, jobs that are that are not, you know, dominated by females. The more that we can sort of help to explain to the general populace what nurses do, how important their role is, how, you know, there are not doctors at the bedside most of the time in hospitals. It's nurses who are taking care of the patients who are responsible and have these people, you know, their lives in their hands and loved ones and your family members or friends are relying on nurses to have the skill and the intellect to recognize acute changes and problems that arise, there's not going to be a doctor standing at the bedside all the time. There's not? Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) I thought they were there like 24 hours a day, Tina. I know. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. And it cracks me up. Just the other day, a family member walked out of the room and said, "Um, can I talk to the doctor that's over this whole area? And I was just kind of like, um... I'm not sure what you mean. We don't have one. I'm like, I, I didn't want to say that because I, I feel like surely, I mean, the doctor that, that's over this whole area. And, I'm, and I said, well, all the different patients have different hospitalists that, were, that are assigned to them, sort of like everyone has a different nurse. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have nurses assigned to patients. We have doctors assigned to patients, but they're not on the floor. They're not here. You know, they're somewhere in the hospital and they're here during the day. They're not here at night. 
So at night, you have nurse practitioners that pretty much kind of oversee the care, depending on, you know, who's following and what's going on with the patients. But the nurses are, are the ones responsible, you know, for the patients and taking care of them. And if there's a problem, then we can we can get a doctor, you know, or, or some other kind of health care provider, depending on what we need. And I feel like we have to explain this all the time, over and over. It's a conversation that we have so often at the hospital because they they don't understand. I've seen a doctor one time in two days that I've been here. I've seen a doctor one time for maybe 15 minutes, and I'm just like, they they do rounds one time in a 24-hour period. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. That's not unusual. That's literally what happens. What did you expect? I know, right? that's what happens. People have varying people have varying expectations of what they're going to receive mm-hmm. in the hospital, for instance. And and we all know, you know, and I know, and probably everyone listening does too, that that it's nurses who are the ones who are at the bedside doing all the tasks and all the care that needs to happen. And the doctors or even the APRNs are issuing the orders and coming around when they can. So it's just that's the model. And, you know, we have to educate people that we're the ones they need to come to. Yeah, and exactly. That's what they do because they don't have much other choice, do they? No, I, I just think that they it's it's because I don't know if it's maybe because for so long it's been I, I think that the perception of what nurses do has always been that, you know, they hold your hand. They they're sort of, you know, the, the cheerleader, the encourager, the the compassionate one that's there. And we are those things. I, I don't. And some mm-hmm. people are better at that that part of it than others. But that is just part of it. And I honestly think that more importantly than that is the skill that is involved in caring, assessing, watching for cute changes in a patient's vital signs or their the way that they look or their breath sounds, all of those things. That's what you really want your nurse to be good at. Trust me, when you're in the hospital. And you're in there for, you know, CHF exacerbation or COPD exacerbation or whatever the problem is, a GI bleed. You want your nurse, you know, to be to be walk into a room and say, oh, this patient looks different or this patient sounds different. I don't remember your lungs sounding like that when I first got here, you know, a few hours ago. I don't. Re- oh, your blood pressure's dropped a little bit. What's mm-hmm. going on? You want your nurse to be honing in and have their skills to be able to do that and take really good care of you. And if you can have a nurse that can do that and hold your hand and be really compassionate boy do you really <laughs> you've you've won a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically right so yeah. kudos interesting, to, isn't yeah it? so kudos to this nurse in london for kind of um stepping out there and going i'm not wearing a dress because that's not what i do and that's not what nurses wear but she still ran as fast as she could even though she knew there was a chance she wasn't going to get the recognition for it she she just still lived up to her own, I guess, beliefs. And I feel like she did the right thing. And I think, I don't know, I just love the story. I do too. Yeah, it's a great story. And, and Guinness even apologized, which is wonderful. They said, it has become quite clear to Guinness World Records that our guidelines for the fastest marathon wearing a nurse's uniform were outdated, incorrect, and reflected a stereotype we do not in any way wish to perpetuate. So, you know, the nurses raising their voices and crying out on social media about this actually affected a change with Guinness and actually, and I think has, we can sound a little shrill sometimes on social media when this stuff happens, but you know, sometimes shrillness wins the day. And as long as we take these opportunities as teaching moments and we don't just complain into the nursing echo chamber, then things can actually change. And I think that's great. So you know, getting angry is fine. And if you can actually channel your anger into education and change people's perceptions, especially of our profession or what we do or et cetera, I think then that's a win for everybody. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Mm-hmm. I definitely have, you know, followed the, the latest story of of the senator who kind of stuck her foot in her mouth. Yeah. And I, when I was sort of what, you know, following the conversations on social media, I would sometimes cringe a little bit at some of the things that some of the nurses were saying, because I was just like, wait, 
this is going a little far when you start saying things like, oh, well, remember, you know, we're the ones that choose your catheter size or we're the one that choose what what size needle we're going to put IV. I don't like that. That sort of talk, it's it's not very becoming of of nursing and it's not why we were voted. We're all consistently for the past, what, since... I don't even know how a couple of decades, I guess, that we've been voted the most trusting profession. Mm-hmm. Not, and we are the most trusting because we take care of everyone the same, just in spite of who you are. And so we hopefully, if she came into the hospital and we were taking care of her, we would still give her wonderful care. We take excellent care of her. And we wouldn't be deliberately, you know, doing things to inflict pain on her, you know, that sort of thing. I, right. I don't like that. Or playing cards while she was, no. you know. What I said in one of my messages to her was just that I hope when you or your family members are in the hospital that the nurses aren't busy playing cards and they're actually out there doing the job that they're supposed to do, which I know they are doing. And I recommended that she go out and follow a nurse and actually see what they do and become educated. And I believe she is actually planning to do that. So, you know, as as shrill and hyped up all the responses were, I think the message got across mm-hmm. and she apologized like Guinness did. And hopefully, you know, hopefully this will change a lot of people's minds. And, and I have to say, I mean, you and I are public figures of a sort, right? We speak and we record our voices and we, we opine on our podcasts and social media and anyone in the public eye can make a mistake. Like I've made some mistakes and politicians, obviously they're the ones out there all the time. So I understand that they sometimes misspeak and that that might've been what happened with her and being able to teach someone and educate them is a real gift. And if we take the opportunity, so these things have all kind of, They've, they've all come to fruition in different ways, just like show me your stethoscope after that thing with Joy Bahar in The View, making fun of the nurse wearing a stethoscope and scrubs during a beauty pageant talent contest, you know, and they apologized and a lot of good came of it. I mean, a, a 501c3 nonprofit was formed called Show Me Your Stethoscope. So some good came of that too. So it gives me a little hope. About it does me too. I, I love that these sort of frustrating things that happen are then turned into a positive that show me your stethoscope that you're talking about. They Mm do wonderful things all over this country. I love that organization. Um, Not the least of which is they're helping to support the nurse um, at Vanderbilt who has been arrested and is being charged criminally for making a mistake. And yes, it did result in a patient's death, but Mm -hmm. I, I am a firm believer that she should never have been charged criminally for what happened. And it it frustrates me to no end. And I love that the Show Me Your Stethoscope um, organization is helping to raise money for her and for her defense because she can't work. So anyway... That is a wonderful organization. So anytime we can take one of these situations and turn it into a positive, help to educate the general public about nurses and what they do, I say that's that's a that's a good situation. It is indeed. So I guess we can talk about the bad nurse now. Okay. So this week we're going to talk about Kelly Lavendowski, and I was talking to my husband about this last night at dinner, and I'm getting kind of like. I guess, passionate about the subject of criminally charging nurses for basically for either being bad at their job or making mistakes. Now, there are nurses, and we've talked about them here on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, who do some things on purpose. And of course, those people should be charged. I would never, you know, <laughs> never say that they shouldn't be. I, it's bothering me a little bit that there are so many cases of nurses being charged criminally for some things. I don't know. We'll let the the listeners decide how they feel about this. But Kelly Lewandowski is a nurse who she went to nursing school at Luzerne County Community College and got an associate's degree in nursing in May of 2007. She was working for a long-term care facility, like a rehab center called Guardian Healthcare. And I don't know, Keith, what kind of nursing that, that you did before you started doing the consulting. I Where I work, I work on a progressive care unit. So we def, we definitely have a lot of patients who go to facilities like this because we kind of get them to a point that they're, they're stable enough that they don't necessarily need the hospital, but they still need skilled nursing. So they 
they have, you know, they may be on ventilators still, you know, traked, pegged, that sort of thing. And so they can't go home necessarily, but they can go to a facility. And that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. she was a nurse supervisor at this rehab center. So part of her job was to make staff assignments for the patients. Now, I'm not 100% sure how this facility, ex- how the structure of the, the different roles and how it works. I know, I don't know, we'll get into it because it's, it it's a little bit confusing. I, I read a lot of different accounts of this story and I never could quite understand whether or not she was specifically responsible for patient care herself or if she only delegated. So to me, that kind of would play a role in and kind of how this all played out. But on June 20th, 2013, 72-year-old Melvin Johnson, and Melvin is a female. I don't know that I've ever heard the name Melvin. Hmm. No, my, I have not Yeah, either. for a female. But she was a, she mm-hmm. was a female, Melvin Johnson. She was admitted to this facility, to Guardian Healthcare, after she had had an extended hospital stay. She had had a ruptured brain aneurysm and had been trached and on a ventilator at the hospital. But then they weaned her off before she came to the rehab center. And so she still had the trach. So I guess I would assume she's probably on a trach collar since she had really just been weaned. I'm assuming she probably had like a trach collar and that was where she was getting her oxygen or sometimes they're on room air, but they remain on a trach collar for the humidification. Mm -hmm. So when she was at first admitted, the admission documentation showed that she wasn't attempting to pull out any lines or pull out any tubes or anything like that when she first arrived. But then around three o'clock in the afternoon, she became really agitated and was attempting to pull out her, quote, breathing tube. And that that's according to this article. And sometimes whenever I'm reading some of these stories, the people writing the stories are not medical. And so they will say things that I'm just kind of like, tilting my head to the side going, what do they mean by that? What? <laughs> yeah, like, mm. so it's she. They, they refer to it as a breathing tube. I'm pretty sure they mean trach mm-hmm. because of just the way some things are described. But so she starts getting and Keith, have you ever taken care of patients who are trached, who kind of get agitated and start pulling at things and and you're kind of I have. OK. Yeah. I you have. can imagine the situation. Someone comes and says, oh, someone says trying to pull out their trach. You know, mm-hmm. what would you do if, um, say, a, a CNA or, or, you know, nurse tech? came to you and said, Nurse Keith, um, patient in 38, bed 38 is trying to pull her trach out. <laughs> what would you do? Well, I would definitely need to go assess the patient. I would also want to assess their, after I make sure the trach was attached and everything was working properly, I'd also want to assess their mentation mm-hmm. and, and assess their level of relative agitation and then make a determination of what I might need to do to, to, protect the trach and protect the patient from herself or himself. So I know some facilities do use various types of restraints for nurses who, uh, nurses <laughs> who are dementia, <laughs> you know, for patients with dementia or with agitation, you know, they use the different kind of gloves they can put on, you know, and, but I know some facilities don't allow even that kind of, um, that kind of restraint. So, you know, sometimes I think we might be a little stuck in terms of what we can do because we might even not be allowed to use any form of restraint at all. And then we get to that notion of chemical restraint. Mm-hmm. Are we going to restrain this person chemically? So it could put you in a pretty sticky situation, especially when you have other people to care for and you can't sit with the patient throughout your shift. Exactly. Well, part of of Kelly's job as the RN there. She was the, the nurse supervisor. Part of her job was was to place this patient if she felt like she was pulling at her breathing tube or what I'm going to assume is her trach. There was a protocol at this facility to place the patient on 15 minute checks. Now, I am going to go out on a limb here and say that go for it's it. very unlikely that a facility like this is going to have lots and lots of staff and you know, just plenty of people that can just go into a, the same patient's room every 15 minutes and check on them. I'm just saying that I know that in our 
our area, a lot of these facilities are understaffed. And even if they were fully staffed at capacity, I doubt that they're a lot of times those those nurses are probably going to have like six patients. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they have uh, maybe one nurse's aide for maybe 15 patients or something. And that's probably at the very best situation. And a lot of times they're short staffed. So I'm not sure what happened, but I know that at some point when the when the nurse tech or, or the nurse's aide went to her and said, they're trying to this patient's trying to pull out her breathing tube. It's the that nurse tech's account was that the nurse supervisor continued to sit at the desk and didn't go check on her. Right. So that's what's um, that's very concerning. Obviously, like you said, the first thing you would do is get up and go check it, check on the patient. That's her airway. It's it's like saying you put a pillow over someone's mouth or you know their nose. Mm-hmm. You're that's their airway. So it's it's very bothersome to me that according to this account of this person that she was told that this was uh, that she was attempting to do this and then she just continued to sit at the desk. But then the patient did pull the trach out and Nurse Lewandowski went to the bedside and she reinserted the trach. Then she notified mm-hmm. the doctor that it was removed, but she didn't call 911. And the protocol for this facility is that if a patient removes their trach, then they have to call 911. I don't know if she was allowed to technically put it back in or if she was supposed to maybe cover it up and try to bag her or what the protocol was, but she did reinsert it, told the doctor about it, but did not call 911. And then about a half hour later, so this was, this happened around seven o'clock. The, it, she sort of started becoming agitated around three, then around seven. So, you know, this is several hours later that she, this patient was sort of being agitated and, and it, I'm sure it was probably frustrating if she, if she was just continually agitated and pulling at things and they don't have any maybe of those options that you were talking about, the restraints or the mittens or that sort of thing. Right. And so then she did pull the trach out. She Nurse Lewandowski reinserted it, notified the doctor, and then just kept going. And about a half hour later, she pulled it out again. And then this time when the nurse went in to reinsert the, the trach, and this is what makes me think it is a trach and not, I don't, you know, when they say breathing tube, that has to be a ventilator. And I don't think it was a, a ventilator because, for one thing, it said that the, she was weaned off it at the hospital. But for another thing, the, is, the story says that she couldn't reinsert it. And it, there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to hook the ventilator back up if the ventilator had popped off her trach. So Right. So she could not reinsert the trach. Just from what I know of trachs and airways working on PCU, I would imagine what probably happened is when she reinserted the trach, she probably maybe damaged some of the uh, her trachea and there was probably some swelling and then she wasn't able to get it back down is what I would assume. Mm-hmm. So the patient went unresponsive, unfortunately, and she did call for 911 or or someone did. And she documented that she tried unsuccessfully to reinsert the tube and then performed CPR until medics arrived on the scene. But none of the other staff members remember seeing her perform CPR. Right. And then there was this report by one of the CNAs that she asked the CNA after the fact to to document that checks had been done every 15 minutes Mm. on the patient, which the CNA said had not actually occurred. And she was not willing to document something that didn't happen. So it's definitely, it is, um, you know, it's, it's not a happy situation mm-hmm. and it's, it's really easy for any of us to be a Monday morning quarterback, mm-hmm. but you know, but when a patient dies, I mean, there's definitely room for due diligence to figure out what happened. So it's very unfortunate for everyone involved, even the people who were not directly involved you know the cnas and the other nurses that's a traumatic event for everyone absolutely and my heart goes out to this woman and also especially to the patient's family and also to the facility because this is going to cause quite a it has caused i'm sure quite an uproar and hopefully like we've talked about these other situations where good came of them eventually my my great desire is that something good eventually comes of this as well. And if we can get that sort of benefit, quote unquote, from a situation like this, then then great if we can actually make that happen because we're using our heads and our hearts to figure something out and 
make things better so stuff like this doesn't happen. And we also know that mistakes happen, patients die, and it's always going to happen. It always has happened, but we can't be complacent when this stuff occurs because that's not our job to be complacent. It's our job to be obsessive compulsive yes. at this juncture, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me is that she continued to work at this facility until 2015. And, you know, remember, I said that she, this happened in 2013. This facility allowed her to work there another two years, even though they began investigating her after the State Department of Health cited them for failing to provide adequate monitoring because of this incident. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's an interesting twist in the story. Yeah. yeah, and it it's concerning to me because um, prosecutors charged her initially with neglect of care of a dependent person, and that's a felony. Mm. She could have gotten up to 20 years in prison. When you first hear this story, if just without thinking about being charged um, criminally or any other way, without thinking of any of those repercussions, to just hear that a nurse was told that her patient was pulling at her trach and that the, the patient was agitated and, and, that, and that sort of thing, and that she just sat at the desk. It just kind of puts a knot in my stomach. It, just, it feels mm. horrible. It does. It's so wrong. It's kind of hard for me to imagine because the nurses that I work with, I can't think of one nurse that would do that. I mean, I, I'm not just saying that. I really can't think of a nurse that would just sit there if someone told them that a patient was trying to pull out their trach. I just, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, because I actually went and was sort of really trying to look her up and I sort of could see her Facebook page. And she, from just a year ago this week, this is Nurses Week that you and I are recording this. And yes. so from a year ago this week, she had her profile picture and around it was that, you know, I am a nurse thing that people put sometimes on their on their profile picture. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is so sad to me because she obviously was proud of being a nurse. She just graduated in 2007. It's not, you know, that long ago. And so did she really just not care or was she just overwhelmed? Did she have too many responsibilities? I, that's why I said earlier, I wasn't sure if she was assigned patients because she's called a nurse supervisor. But I don't know if that, you know, some charge nurses have patients. So she could very well have been responsible for a lot of patients and then also responsible, you know, for the staff as well during her shift. So I'm just not sure. But she, because she could have gotten up to 20 years in prison, she pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter. And mm -hmm. I guess that's a misdemeanor and the a misdemeanor and the maximum time for that offense is five years in prison. So the judge, right. he accepted her plea and she was sentenced in November of 2018, but she didn't show up for her sentencing which was it Ooh. I was kind of weird because they she even had family that drove in from out of town to support her and she wasn't there everybody got her attorneys were there the prosecutors obviously were there everyone family and then she didn't show up Ooh, don't try this at home folks no show up when you when you have a legal situation show up when you're supposed to yeah definitely a smart idea absolutely yeah. she knew that was going to be her <laughs> sentencing and I feel like I, I would think she was afraid you know, she knew she was going to go yeah. go to jail. She was scared. She was scared. So yeah. she said that it, there was a misunderstanding, but her, her attorney said that she had a panic attack. I think their attorneys were probably saying that because they knew that nobody was ever going to believe that she was the only one out of all of those, including her family, that didn't know the date and time of her sentencing. But either way, yeah. she was sentenced in December of 2018 to six months to two. She, her sentence was actually six months to two years. I guess I don't know how they determine whether it's six months or two years, but six months to two years in jail and three years probation. And so she it's May now. So I'm assuming she's still in jail, but maybe we'll have the opportunity maybe to go before, I guess, maybe with a parole board or something and decide whether or not she can get out now. Right. And she did lose her nursing, nursing license permanently. And if you look on the Pennsylvania Board of Nursing, because this happened in Pennsylvania, I don't know if I said that or not, but it said that because she was guilty of misconduct and falsified or knowingly made incorrect entries into a patient's record or other related documents, that that's why she mm. was forced to surrender her license permanently. Yeah. Yeah. It's these, these situations are, are heartbreaking and we can only we can only imagine what we would do in similar situations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as 
nurses and healthcare providers, we have a pretty good sense of what a prudent nurse would do. And I guess that's what a jury or a judge or an attorney thinks about too. And I'm sure expert witnesses were involved and it's, uh, these are, this is sticky and difficult and painful. And I'm glad you talk about these situations on your show, because I think it's really important to to look at the, we know we have to look at the dark side too. There's plenty of great stuff happening out there. And then there's plenty of stuff that needs our attention. So thanks for being one of those people out there who, you know, make sure that this stuff comes to light and we talk about it in, in our community, because our community definitely needs to sit up and notice this stuff. Absolutely. My thing is she... In, in not just her in situations like this because Christina and I talked last week about a nurse in I can't remember where it was I talk about so many different places sometimes like they all run together it, I'm gonna it was probably <laughs> Texas I don't know but she I feel like they're all from Texas but Christina's from yeah. Texas so she and I joke around about it but this nurse was a corrections you know she worked at a jail and she there was a one of her i guess patients or the, the 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 guy that was in jail he was a type 1 diabetic and he died in jail because mm. she basically just ignored him she ignored the pleas from the other jailers to go and look at him and but my thing is that's in my opinion that's a bad nurse and the this yeah. nurse if you sat at the desk whilst people were trying to tell you that your patient is trying to pull out a trach even if it's not your patient what a, if there is a person that's trying to block their airway trying to somehow damage their airway i wouldn't i don't care if it's my patient or not i'm not going to just keep sitting there i don't care how busy i am i'm going to if it's, there's a situation like that on the floor you stop what you're doing and you go deal with that situation right then because that's the most that's prioritizing that's the most important thing and if this nurse didn't do that she's a bad nurse she's she doesn't need to be a nurse if you don't have that level of judgment of how to take care of someone or if you're just you've lost all your compassion you don't care about people anymore and you just could look into the window and see a man laying there on the floor and not care you don't need to be a nurse anymore you don't need to have your license. I mean, that's my opinion. But mm-hmm. to be charged criminally is what bothers me about this. And it's not, you, we could pick apart all these situations one at a time and say, okay, I judge that you should spend time in prison because I think you're such a horrible person for not having compassion for that man. And, and he died as a result of it. But what scares me is that there are situations, I, I'm sorry, but there are people who will say things sometimes out of frustration who really are wonderful nurses, but nursing is a very stressful person profession and I've heard nurses say I'm going to tell you a story okay sure go for it this is not where I work now and I want to make that perfectly clear (laughs) (laughs) but this happened okay and there was a situation where there was a patient who was sort of like this pulling everything off pulling it this and pulling at that. And he pulled off all, he'd pull off all his telemetry, take off his oxygen probe, you know, the little disposable probe that goes on your finger constantly would do this. And you'd go in there and be like, what are you doing? Come on, let's get this back on. We got to keep an eye on your heart rhythm. We got to keep an eye on your O2 level. And he would just get frustrated and just start pulling things off. And I don't want to, you know, so this was happening all night long. And at one point, the, the health unit co- coordinator said to his nurse, as she was walking down the hall in one direction, your patient in such and such room has pulled off all of his leads. And she said, I'm not going back in there. I just came out of there. And she just kept walking. And so I was kind of coming in the other direction. And I said, I'll go in there. And so I walked in and he was sitting there with his head, chin down, eyes staring straight out. And there was blood all over his gown. And he had vomited up dark blood. And he had some electrical activity on uh, the monitor when I hooked him back up. He was a do not resuscitate. So we didn't do a code on him. But just in assessing him, he did not have a pulse. So he did die. He was dead then. He, like I said, when I hooked back up to the to the telemetry, there was some what we call pulseless electrical activity, but he was gone. Mm-hmm. And we ultimately, you know, got him cleaned up, called his family, and that that was that. But that nurse felt terrible, you know, because she said what she said. And I honestly didn't hold that against her because she also had three other patients and you have to take care of all of your patients. So if you spend all your time in one room with a patient who continues to you know, pull things off, and I'm not talking about a confused patient. I'm talking about a patient who's just kind of like, I don't want to wear this, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know what else. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just neglect everyone else? At some point, you got to make decisions of I really have to give my other patients their meds or else 
something's going to happen to them and I'm going to be in trouble for that. Right. And this, this can bring up conversations mm-hmm. about nurse patient ratios. I mean, that can be a whole yes. nother podcast. <laughs> um, so there's plenty to talk about about that too. There's, there are so many, there's so many ways that we can dissect these types of situations and ratios and how much nurses have to carry, how much they really have to, um, how much they have to pay attention to in the course of any particular shift Mm -hmm. or even any particular moment while they're working is definitely cause for concern. And a lot of people are really concerned about it because, Ratios are definitely in the news and it's, and there's reasons why. Oh, I know. It's it, because it is very important. And the, the thing is, I feel like, it, you know, even the situation that I was telling you about, the, the person, you know, that I worked with, that nurse, she is a very good nurse. She takes excellent care of her patients. It, you know, does her saying, you know, at one snapshot in time, her, you know, I just walked out of the room and I, I'm not going back in there. If that hadn't happened exactly the way it happened, I can guarantee you she would have gone back in there. She was going to go in there and put him back on his telemetry. Mm-hmm. It's not like he was showing asystole and she said, I'm not going to go back in there. He had taken his leads off, but right. say there was a coworker who didn't like her very much and that coworker wanted to spin that in such a way they could. You know, if somebody came around to do an investigation and start asking questions, say Medicare, Medicaid comes by, Department of Human Health, Human Services, whatever, and they come by and they say, oh, we're investigating a situation, a death here. Do you remember what happened? You were working that night and say this person, maybe the health coordinator didn't like that nurse. And they said, actually, I told her that he pulled his telemetry off and she just kept walking and said, I just came out of there. I'm not going back in there. You could totally spin that in such a way that the general public would hear that and think, crucify her. She is a she is a horrible person. She mm-hmm. put her in jail, put her under the jail for right. because it does it you can spin that mm-hmm. to where it sounds terrible. You know, that's what really scares me. And I feel like there's a lot of situations like that where nurses not even thinking about maybe how what they're saying, because we went not in front of the patient, but in front of other coworkers, you tend to vent your frustrations. You can't say it in front of the patient, but if you go into the med room or somewhere in the break room and you're just like, oh, you know, all the frustration comes out. You're just kind of venting. You don't really mean it. You're just... And when you've heard probably all every nurse say something like that at some point or another, maybe that nurse has probably said something like that at some point or another. There's there's just frustration and venting that that has to go on for nurses at some point. You have to be able to be able to, I don't know, say things and kind of let off steam. And it scares me to think that they're they're in the in the course of these investigations, that then there's prosecutors that come along and say, oh, this patient died. This nurse said this and this and this and didn't react the way that supposedly the protocol said they were supposed to or the hospital policy said they're supposed to. So we're going to charge them with criminal neglect or, you know, whatever the charge is, manslaughter or whatever, and then send them away for 15 years. I I just have a problem with it. I don't know. It's really starting to bother me the more I'm looking into these stories. I hear you. It's definitely... I'm sure there might be a lot of people out there who have very strong opinions they'd like to share. So I'll be interested to hear what kind of comments you get and what people have to say. I would too. And my husband was mm-hmm. like, Tina, you're going to sound like you're you're taking up for this, this woman who is a terrible nurse. And I'm like, I hope I don't sound that way because I'm not. I would I would think that she should have lost her license. And I, I, I bet it, I'm scared for nursing in general, not for one in particular person. I'm afraid that this is a slippery slope that we're going down when we start parsing out these different situations and you're putting nurses lives at risk just for going to work your your sure. your freedom to be able to take care of your family you're putting that I, we already know that our nursing license is on the line every time we go in to work we already know that we could lose our job i mean that's a given of course but to lose our freedom and time with our children and family because you know you made a mistake or had had a momentary lapse in judgment the pennsylvania state attorney general josh shapiro quoted that she could have saved a woman's life by simply following the protocols of her employer instead she neglected Mm -hmm. a patient and trusted to her care ultimately leading to the patient's death someone said to me the other day how could you possibly know all of the protocols that are in in the policies that are in place for some of these hospitals and and then you throw in travel nurses who get thrown into these hospitals with almost no orientation and they're expected to know all the protocols exactly what you're supposed to do in every single situation yeah i have to say i i could never be a traveler 
because the stress of walking into a place where I'm not really familiar with where things are and who people are and where what I'm supposed to be doing and how can you really follow all the all the protocols when you're just walking into a place and spending eight hours there. So I take my hat off to people, my metaphorical hat, mm-hmm. who do traveling, but I just feel like there's so much risk involved yeah. in that. And I know we need them and it's wonderful they're out there doing it, but that is not me by any stretch of the imagination. I know I appreciate them because if it wasn't for them, I don't know what some of these hospitals would do for staffing, Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Well, I would love to hear from you guys and just to see what your opinion is about this. Do you think that nurses should be charged criminally for making a mistake or even for just being a bad nurse and using bad judgment or making a decision, a split second decision that um, maybe at the time seems callous um, or uncaring or not compassionate? Do you think that deserves um, criminal charges? I'd be curious um, to know what what most people are going to say about that. So I guess we can talk about the good nurse now. I like that we always end our episode on sort of uh, shining the light on something good that nurses do because I always feel terrible after talking about the bad one. Yes. Let's bring it around full circle and talk about someone doing something really awesome. Yes. (laughs) And I love this. It's actually two nurses involved in this and one nurse is doing something wonderful for another one. Kristen Sheffield and Allison Thompson are emergency room nurses who work together at a hospital in Rhode Island. And I I guess it's coming Monday from the article that I read. It looked like because it just came out yesterday, this article. Allison Thompson is going to donate a kidney to Kristen Sheffield. I, that's amazing to me. I mean, as horrifying as it is to think of a nurse not having compassion for her patient or neglecting a patient, this is the exact opposite. What a wonderful giving person that she's literally going to give a, a very important piece of herself to someone else. That's right. And she'll only have one other one. I know. So, you know, it's really that is quite a gift to give someone. And there are lots of nurses out there who do great things for lots of people. I know. And to step up and do something for one of your one of your brethren, I think, is is a really lovely gesture. Um, I mean, it's more than a gesture. I mean, giving up one of your vital organs is is we can characterize it as a gesture, but it is really a it's an act of heroism, actually. It is. And she doesn't want to be called a, a hero. She she really didn't even want attention for it. She said she tried to keep it quiet as long as she could. But I'm sorry, but something like this is <laughs> you're not going to be able to keep quiet and you're not going to keep people from calling you a hero because she certainly is. And I know that her co-worker, Allison Thompson, or no, Kristen Sheffield, she, she considers her a hero. She is a single mom. Actually, they both are. And Kristen, I guess about six years ago, was having some just routine lab work done when they noticed her creatinine levels were high and then they did some imaging tests and that showed that she had some scarring in her kidneys and she said they really didn't know what caused it but they think that maybe she was just born with smaller kidneys than normal Hmm. so she's been going to dialysis every Monday since January when she got the flu. I got the flu in January. This is so scary. But she got the flu and she already had kidney problems, obviously. And they, I guess, completely gave out and she had to start going to dialysis. So she continued to work all this time up until January when she had to start doing dialysis. And clearly you can't work. Amazing. Yeah. Is that not amazing? In the emergency room, no less. Allison Thompson said that that she's the sickest patient in the emergency room sometimes, the nurse. Um, wow. Yeah, she's, sometimes she's sicker than any of the other patients there. So she she said she decided to just see if she was a match. And when she went, they said she was too heavy. So rather than, you know, some people would just go, oh, well, sorry. <laughs> I tried, you know, and you get kudos for that, right? You would get credit you yeah. get credit for that you tried she went yeah we'll give you props for that <laughs> yeah why not i mean she i sorry I, they said no <laughs> but she went and lost 25 pounds and then went back and so then they did all these tests just to make sure absolutely sure but they did confirm that she was definitely a match and so she is going to be giving her kidney to her and Kristen sheffield said you can't repay someone for that it's a really special thing that she's doing and she kind of you know was tearful when she was saying that and uh, Allison Thompson said that she's a single mom so she knows what she's going through and she just hopes that 
if she were going through something like that, someone would do the same thing for her. Yeah, absolutely. I would do it. I would certainly do it. So, you know, it's it's a lovely thing to see these sort of acts, no matter who's doing them. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, in a time in history in the 21st century when there's there's plenty to complain about, there's plenty of bad news, there's plenty of trauma out there. You don't have to look very far to find trauma. And, you know, a lot of news media ignore good news Mm -hmm. and i love hearing positive stories and it's not because i'm pollyannish and it's not because i put my head in the sand i i keep up on what's happening around the world because i feel it's my responsibility and hearing these good stories just it's such a relief it's like a breath of fresh air Mm -hmm. in a really noisy world so thanks for um bringing this one to our attention too i personally really appreciate it Well, absolutely. And I appreciate you for coming on and helping me do the episode. I always ha- I have to have somebody to do the episode with. It's just the format that I've chosen. So if I don't it's have wonderful. another person, yeah, if I don't have another person to kind of go back and forth and chat with about this, it just wouldn't work the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure and honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I guess if you would just let our listeners know, how can they find you, Keith? Sure. I mean, the best place is nursekeith.com. That's the easiest one to remember, (laughs) nursekeith.com. That's where you can find me. And there's links to all my podcast episodes there. There's links to my social media, LinkedIn. You can hit me up there. You can also go to digitaldoorway.blogspot.com. That's the blog I've been writing about nursing since 2005, 14 years, (laughs) believe it or not. Uh, That's also linked and there's an RSS feed to that blog right on my website. So, and the Nurse Keith show is available on any podcast app you think of, and it's also on my website. So, you can't miss it if you look for it. Perfect. Well, you guys go check that out. And so, and of course, uh, you all know that my husband has been doing the website. So, uh, every week I got to plug the website. I, d- I don't care if you go anywhere else. If you would just please go to the website. So my husband knows if you go in or not. He can tell. He knows these things. <laughs> he understands computers. And so, I don't know how he knows, but somehow he can tell if people have been going. And he just also... He knows when you've been sleeping. Yes. He knows when you're awake. He really does. Yeah. <laughs> he really does. And he kind of like, he really is kind of like <laughs> Santa Claus for the website because he um, he went and got got me the nur- goodnursebadnurse.com name, which I'm so thankful that he did that for me. And he's just doing a great job on the website, doing all kinds of neat things. And so if you guys don't mind, just go take a look at that for me and for him and let, let us know. Give us some feedback. Just send us an email or or whatever and let us know what you think of it also send me some ideas if you have you guys are doing that all the time and I love it Um, keep doing it send me some more ideas for stories good stories bad stories whatever whatever you have actually good stories are so easy to come by you good nurse stories are a dime a dozen they're there are so many wonderful good nurses in this world. So those are so easy to find. The bad nurse stories, thank you, Lord. We don't we don't want them to be e- easy to find, but they, you know, they're a little bit <laughs> more rare and we want to keep it that way. <laughs> we do indeed. Yeah, and which is right. why every week we always want to remind our listeners to always, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>